Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca S., as in Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Snowy, Connecticut. Today is Thursday, December 14th, 2017, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 3. We will be reading and commenting on the second and third paragraphs, beginning with, My Drinking Assumed More Serious Proportions, and ending on the top of page 4 with Amused skepticism. Today's readers are Eve K, Anita L, Rita K, and Naomi D. Our newcomer reader is Janice P.M. The reference number for yesterday's Wednesday, December 13th, 2017's 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10794. That's 10794. And the reference number for yesterday's 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10795. That's 10795. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Uh, I'm sorry, through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Eve Kay to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning. Can I be heard? I hear you, Eve Kay. Hi, good morning. This is Eve Kay, a compulsive overeater from Brooklyn, New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, 
may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you, Eve K. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much. Everyone have a beautiful day, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. And I do time everyone's share. And we'll just try to gently say the word time when the three minutes is up so you can wrap up. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked 
to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And when you announce your name, um, it takes me a minute to write it down and I'll repeat it so that you know that you were heard and if you weren't, then you could try again. Uh, today's, today we resume our study of the big book in chapter one, Bill's story on page three. We will be reading and commenting on the second and third paragraphs beginning with my drinking assumed more serious proportions and ending on the top of page four with amused skepticism. I will now ask Rita Kay to read that for us. Thank you. My name is Rita Kay and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater, grateful recovered compulsive overeater. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to caram around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. You know, the the, the sentence that, uh, the two uh, fragments of sentences that really um, um, jump out at me, the first one, my drinking assumed more serious proportions. And then in the second paragraph, liquor caught up with me much faster, even though he's talking about that he came up behind the famous golfer there. But, you know, I can identify, and that's what what we're doing here. We're not comparing ourselves to Bill, but we're identifying. And I can certainly identify with, with, um, you know, with my eating assuming more serious proportions. I have a I have a history of chronic relapse, and I'm so grateful that I'm in recovery today. Um, and and each time it seems like it got more serious, and more serious, and of course each time I add more weight and more weight. And you know, people really don't say much to at least people that I'm around. They don't say anything to you about your weight when you're gaining it. They're excited when you're losing it. You know, and so I wasn't around the type of people who would make comments to me about about Kenny. There was one person at one time, and it was a pastor of a church that I went to, and I had gone through this dramatic weight loss because for me it's 100 pounds or more, losing weight, you know. And then it was like overnight almost. I know it seemed to them that that I that I was gaining again, and it gained, and it came on fast. And I remember he said, he says, Rita, 
what kind of exercise are you doing, you know? And I was so angry. I was like, how dare he say anything to me? But first of all, he was reaching out and caring about what was what was happening to me. And secondly, it had to just be kind of amazing to people to see, you know, because losing weight, as we know, can be rather slow and takes time. And, and you know, we just kind of just, um, we take it a day at a time. But it comes back on with a vengeance, and that's what I experienced, and that's why I can identify with him as he's talking about his drinking assumed more serious proportions, and his friends were getting his friends, his drinking buddies were getting concerned about his drinking, and so, and I can certainly identify with that people being around you and knowing what it feels like to have gained all of this weight in only a few months and seeing the look on people's faces. But I'm so happy and so glad today for the gift of recovery because it is a gift. It's a gift, and I don't take it lightly. And that's what I have to share with that I pass. Thanks, Rita Kay. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Ida M. Larry Kay. Ida M. and Larry Kay. Is that Matt M. Matt M. Oh, maybe it was Matt M. (laughs) Did I hear an Ida O? I heard a Vasa O. Monica Sarah G. Harlan G. Sarah G. Maybe and Harlan G. Okay, I have six, and that's what recommended that you get it first. So let me see if I have these for starters, and then we'll do another grouping. Matt M. Larry K. Vasa O. Monica T. Sarah G. And Harlan G. Hopefully, I got those names correct. We'll find out. Matt M. Thank you for your service. This is Thorne, everyone. This is Madam Cabozo Reader. Yeah, he's starting to really get into his addiction now. He's trying to do a geographical cure. They're going to the country. She wants to move into the country so he can try to stay away from liquor. And he has these really childhood fantasies of him trying to overtake Walter Hagen, uh, who is the Tiger Woods of his time. And he's choosing activities that support his addiction. You know, golfing leaves a lot of time for leisure activities to drink. Usually when you go to the golf course, there's a country club, and there's a bar there, and you can drink there. You can have a good time with your friends as you go to each hole. So there's, so he's already ready getting more and more into his addiction, and he's also taking more and more money out of the banker's till. And the banker's looking at him like, whoa, what is this guy doing? But he's like smiling. He's like, okay, I'll let him do whatever he wants. There won't be much money left. So um, he, he's basically acting like a child, running around from place to place when he's a married man who's in his, I don't know how old he is, but, you know, he's definitely not a, not a kid. So he's definitely trying to avoid reality. He's trying to escape reality. He knows that, he, I think he already knows the drinking is already getting to a bad spot. You know, he already, the way, what he, from what he said before in the third, on, on page three when he talks about how he, you know, he lost all of his friends and his drinking is so more and more serious proportions continue all day almost every night. So he's trying to run away from himself. But you know what they say, you know, everywhere you go, there you are, you know. So you can't run away from yourself. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, madam. Larry Kay? Good morning. Good morning. Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, my, my eating um, began to assume greater and greater um, severity. And, uh, you know, I think back over, gosh, over two decades ago, way before I came into program, 
you know, I, 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 um, you know, I, I had a, uh, I was a, a, a newly minted PhD. I was, uh, I was a, a professor. I was teaching. I was counseling individuals. I was um, doing all these things. But, but here's what my day looked like. I was a very important man in my mind. But here's what my day looked like. In order to get through my very busy day, my day revolved around food. It revolved around, you know, fast food. It revolved around quick, you know, large amounts of food, sugary dessert items, salty, savory, crunchy things all day long. That, see, that's what I needed to get through my day. Now, I, you know, I lived, I lived in secret. This was my secret, my secret life. I wasn't fooling anybody, anybody that knew me or paid attention. I kept it from them. Maybe I was big boned. Maybe I had slow metabolism. I came up with all sorts of, you know, I was teaching about defense mechanisms. So I came up with all sorts of, you know, rationalization, uh, you know, all sorts of things. But the bottom line was, in order to get through my day, in order to, you know, to, to feel comfortable in my own skin, I needed vast amounts, vast quantities of food. And day after day after miserable day, this was my secret. And I put a smile on my face. You know, God, God gives us all blessings. I could, I could talk. I could, I could use my intellect. These were all God-given traits. I could do all these things. I could even be helpful to other people. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that my walk and my talk were not comfortably aligned. See, I, 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 was, I was cognitively dissonant. Taught about that one. Cognitive dissonance, you know. That was me. That was what I was living. I felt very much like a fraud because I couldn't, I couldn't get through the day. Now, if I, if I had the food, that would numb me out so I can get through another day. And on and on it goes you know, from the physical allergy to the mental obsession. Thank God that I came into this program. See, my life isn't like that anymore. I've been inwardly restructured, been ch changed by a higher power of my own understanding. I don't know how or why, but it happened. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. K. Vasa O. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader calling from Florida. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service and everyone being on this meeting this morning. I remember at the beginning when I came, started reading the big book saying, I'm not an alcoholic, you know, like Bill, I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. And again, my sponsor said, just cross the alcohol and just keep on reading. And I started identifying with especially this um, sentence right here. My drinking assumed more seriously. It was progressive for Bill, and it was getting progressive for myself. And uh, I, again, I was eating through the day. I would start early in the morning and eat through the day and in the evenings, and it was getting so progressive and so bad. And I would get up during the night, go to the bathroom, and check the refrigerator and go back to bed. And my husband teased me. 
She said, oh, you eat only one meal, starts in the morning and at night time. Of course, he noticed that he worked, but he also was home at times. Uh, and I used a lot of exercising to burn those calories. I remember, you know, when I would get, you know, for to lose the weight for some, for some occasion, and I'd start using exercising, running, playing tennis. I did a lot of playing tennis singles, and that's very, <laughs> it's exhausting. And, um, and again, you know, that was to really burn the calories. That was my motive. When I lost the, all the weight and I started looking for men to fill in the hole, I thought, you know, maybe my my husband didn't love me as much as I wanted him to love me. He was not giving me enough attention, so I was using that as an excuse. And I learned, you know, that was just a lie. My husband did love me and he cared. I just had very low self-esteem myself. And I used the food to cover up my insecurities, but I didn't even know in those days that's what I did. I have learned that all here by working the steps and identifying and when I hear other people share and I say, oh, that's me, that's me, that's what I do. I'm so grateful I don't have to look at those things any longer. You know, God is there. My, you know, I don't have that empty hole any longer to fill it up with the food. I, you know, I have my higher power. I have the steps. I have my meetings. So this is what I do, and I pass it on. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thanks, Vasa O. Did I hear Monica T? You did. Great. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in Bill's story. And, of course, here Bill is looking back, you know, over the years he's looking back as he's writing this story. And it's sort of interesting. We're only on page three here of Bill's story, and there's like 13 more pages after that. And I was told when I was looking at this story or when I was reading, when I was studying this textbook here, that this chapter was going to teach me the progression of this disease and uh, and how it progressed with Bill. And so here in this paragraph, we're seeing a lot of progression here. You know, the paragraph before, he talked about he had arrived. And he had made a host of fair-weathered friends. You know, those are people that are present and dependable only in good times. So he's arrived and drinking's fun. And he's got all kinds of friends. And then what's going on in this paragraph? My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and all night. You know, he's now, he's, he's, the craving the allergy is so bad and the craving so bad here, he's drinking all day and all night. What's happening? The remonstrances, the protests of my friends terminated in a row, a quarrel, and I became a lone wolf. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing progression into isolation. We're seeing progression of loss of friends. There were many unhappy scenes in our scrumptious apartment. And there we're seeing deterioration of his marriage going on. He doesn't see any of this yet. We're only on page three. And it's always amazing to me when I read this chapter how it sounds so 
horrible. And yet the next paragraph or two, he's going to go down deeper. You know, he's in that, um, ugh, what's the one word I want? You know, he's in a hole and, you know, this our disease is progressive and we're spiraling faster and faster and quicker and quicker and deeper and deeper into this dark hole. And then the next paragraph, he's got this delusion, another delusion of Bill, all right? But he's going to catch up with the, the most popular uh, best uh, golfer of the, of the age, you know? Um, and then he says, I began to be jittery in the morning. We've got, now we've got physical progressions going on here. You know, it's causing physical problems, but he still thinks alcohol will solve his problems. And I can relate with all this, you know, the isolation. I didn't want to go anywhere. So I didn't want anybody to see me. Oh, I don't have any clothes to wear. You know how many times my husband would want me to go somewhere with him. I don't have anything to wear. Well, I didn't want to see anybody. And what I really wanted to do, I wanted him to go so I could go binge in the kitchen. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica T. Sarah G. Did I hear a Sarah G.? Yes, this is Sarah G, compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic, recovered just for today, contingent upon my spiritual condition. And I appreciate your service, Rebecca, and everybody on the line. It's just great to hear everybody. Um, So I also relate to the line that says, my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost all night. I was a night eater. Um, I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing, so I would come to work, I would eat normally, and then as soon as I got home, I would start to binge and eventually purge. Because I was bulimic and purging, no one really could tell what was going on with me. I looked like a fairly normal size, um, and so you'd have to really, really know me well and look in my eyes and be able to tell by that what was going on. Um, So I think definitely this disease does progress. Um, I started out um, being more of an exercise bulimic than anything, and then I started binging and purging, and that happened maybe once every so often, and then it got more and more frequent, um, and I couldn't stop it. Uh, As soon as I picked up my alcoholic food, I was off and running. And I know that this disease is cunning, powerful, powerful, and baffling, 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 uh, because I kept thinking that I I could stop it, that I had the power, me, myself, had the power to stop binging and purging, stop eating those foods. And there was no way in, you know, where that I was going to be able to do that. Uh, but I, my delusional thinking told me it was possible. And so every day I would get up, I would say, this is the day. I won't eat any more X, Y, or Z, whatever the foods were, and um, I'll be okay. And by the time the end of the day rolled around, I was eating X, Y, and Z. I just couldn't stop it. So this program, uh, yeah, as, as has been said, uh, there's more to come in the, in the uh, dropping into the deep hole, uh, and there was more to come in my life as well. Um, I um, continued that 
um, I, I was able to get away with it because I was married, but I was married to an alcoholic, and he was drinking while I was eating. So we were, <laughs> quote, compatible in that sense. I mean, I he didn't know what I was doing, and I felt very comfortable binging and purging right there in the house with him in it. Uh, most of the time he was um, – he was drunk and uh, passed out. So uh, today it is so different. I am so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful for you all on the line. Uh, grateful to know that, that I found a way out uh, because I was a binger and purger for, oh, I don't know. Uh, let's see, I started when I was 18 and I was probably in my early 40s, so at least 30 years. And um grateful, grateful that I found OA and that I found a solution. Uh, and my solution today is not food, it's the steps. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah G. Harlan G., you're next. Thank you, Rebecca, and thank you to Team Thursday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm so glad to be part of it. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's take a look at what happened in the paragraph that we finished yesterday. Things are going fantastic for Bill. Bill is doing great. Everybody's spending in thousands, chattering in millions. And what happens here? His drinking assumes more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances, what are remonstrances? Remonstrances are protestations, arguments of my friends terminated in a row, not a row, but a row, and a row is a fight, and he became a lone wolf. Now, how many times in my life did I want to date? Did I want to be with the friends? Did I want to be with the people? That I wanted to be at the wedding? I wanted to be at the function, but I couldn't be because I had nothing to wear, and I was four times the size of the last time these people saw me, and he's forced to choose between his liquor and the people. And let's remember that this is not just friends that he's losing. He's losing his business. He is a New York City stock speculator who makes his living selling his opinion for a piece of the pie to investors who are investing in the stock market and with a reputation of a successful person, he's got a Park Avenue apartment. He's making a ton of money. He is one of the darlings of Wall Street. Now that it's getting around that his reputation is that of a drunkard, his, not only are his friends leaving him, his business is dwindling to nothing. So the big shot, the guy who had arrived, the guy from East Dorset, Vermont, who never had a penny in his pocket, comes to New York, becomes a very wealthy man, and his business is going away. And he's choosing to stay in the liquor. He says, there's many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. Maybe for now but we know that later on in his life that that wasn't the case. Not the point here, but that wasn't the case. Now, the, the Burnhams, Lois was a Burnham. Lois's father was Dr. Burnham. He was a geneticist, and he was a doctor, and they had a place in the country. 
Lois, who was to co-found Al-Anon with Ann Bingham <clears throat> a few years later, she didn't know anything about alcoholism, so she figures she's going to try a bunch of geographics. And when he started drinking in the city, they'd run to the country. And when he'd start drinking in the country, they'd run to the city. Nothing seemed to work. And the first eight pages of Bill's story are about Bill's ascent into the madness and the nadir of his alcoholism. And the second eight pages is about how a recovery was affected therefrom through the Oxford group and the spiritual experience. But he is plunging down now. Things are looking darker and darker and darker. So can I relate to this? You bet I can. The jobs and the career paths and the opportunities in every area of life that were shut off to me because I became a lone wolf and I chose my food over what I most wanted in life, what I couldn't sleep through the night because I wanted it so badly and I kept choosing the food and choosing the food and choosing the food. Can I relate? You bet I can. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Harlan G. Uh, before I take more names, I just want to let you know, in case you got on late, that we read two paragraphs beginning on page three with my drinking assumed more serious proportions and ending on page four with amused skepticism. Who else would like to share on those two paragraphs? Melissa C. I heard Melissa C. And then I heard Bree. I think it's Barb, N. Barb C. And Barb C, was it? That's correct. Okay. I have Terry three. N. Terry N. Yes. Four. Go ahead. Anyone else? C. I have. Who was it? Leah D. Leah D. D is a David. Can you just say where you started on page three? Lauren yes. N. Uh, I'll tell you in one second. Lauren N. Why don't we go with you six? So first I'm going to tell you we started with my drinking assumed more serious proportions for two paragraphs. Thank and it, I have Melissa C., Bree N., Barb C., Terry N., Leah D., and Lauren N. Go right ahead, Melissa C., Hi, good morning. Thank you, Rebecca. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, like other people were commenting about the more serious proportions, um, you know, my experience is if you've got this disease, it's not um, if it's going to take you down, it's when, you know. And so um, for me, there was a time when um, I could sit binging into my life. I could actually have a life um, and I could binge, you know, on the weekends or I could binge um, sometimes just late at night. And then, you know, it progressed to where I was sort of trying to fit my life around my binging, you know, and then it reaches a point where my whole life was binging. There was no room left for anything else. And that's a really... um, it's a horrible spot to be in when um, 
you know, your your rational mind is telling you you're killing yourself with the food and the only thing that you can gain any comfort from for the mess that you're making of your life is more food, you know. So um, the food took on everything so that, um, you know, I was waking up in the morning and although I was crying the night before and, and waking up feeling sick, I was eating, you know, before I left the house. And, um, you know, and um, it, it's tragic and it's sad. And um, my choices became corrupted by my eating, you know. And so I didn't fight with people, not outwardly. But, boy, I had a laundry list of resentments and hurts. And if you looked at me sideways, you were added to the list, and there was a good reason for me to keep away from you and isolate. And, um, you know, when that's your perspective, when you're looking um, to be hurt and to be angry, it's really easy to get alone. And then there was always the food. And, um, you know, and so the first thing besides putting down the food was I had to let go of those hurt feelings. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa C. Gree N. Bree, star wants to unmute. Um, perhaps either I got the name wrong or she's having technical difficulty. Barb C. Good morning, folks. Uh, can you hear me? Are you Barb? I am indeed. Sorry about that. Yep. Good morning, Barb. No problem. I hear you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for everybody for being present in this. Um, the identifying in is just such a. Uh, first of all, I am a recovering um, food addict and uh, a compulsive overeater. Um, I've been around program for uh, about seven years. Had some tremendous physical recovery um, that uh, is uh, a blessing. And uh, like everything else, I can turn anything into a curse and interpret that I have managed to do this by myself. And um, even though I've been able to talk uh, in terms of um, a spiritual support and believing that uh, that is in fact the case, uh, when it comes right down to it, I still refuse to, uh, I continue to, to struggle uh, with in, in inviting a spiritual presence, a step-based presence into my life. So that's why I say I'm recovering and in the process. So I want to talk about uh, identifying in with Bill as he was living the high life. One of the things that uh, that I definitely did with food was surround myself with people and this lush, um, you know, come on folks, order more food. I mean, certainly drinks were involved, but that wasn't my drug of choice. Um, but uh, I spent a ton of money. I spent a ton of money showing off. I'll take the bill. Um, it was it was all about, uh, you know, a delusion that I was more important than I was. I took all of my, uh, I, 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 
I spent all of my time when I was in those social situations. I was a musician. We were quite busy. We'd have late rehearsals, and then we'd all go out for drinks and food. And the, the, the table would just be groaning with food that I would have ordered. And my partner at the time, who was the primary uh, earner, would be looking at me going, really? Uh, seriously? Are you, you know, would, you know, not want to embarrass me in the moment, but would say afterwards, we don't need all that food. A, we've had supper. And um, why are we paying for all this food? And it, But it was about me you know, chasing the golfer and wanting to be with all the beautiful people and wanting to look important. And that particular aspect of my brokenness uh, and my, my addictive behavior, um, you know, was part of, you know, collapsing into, uh, you know, into the abyss. And it happened exactly that way that uh, when I wasn't able to do that and the weight, uh, the weight grew, I, um, I, I, I isolated and, uh, had my food at home. And of course I deeply resented my partner at the time, you know, um, you know, getting all up in my grill about, you know, me feeling good about myself, me feeling like a hero, me feeling like the center of attention. And, uh, and so the ego piece, um, which I look at quite, uh, quite critically now and, and I'm really exploring, um, is, is just astounding. Yeah, just astounding. So with that, I pass, and I and I thank you for the opportunity. Bye. Thanks, Barb C. Terry N. Good morning, everyone. This is Terry N., uh, recovered compulsive overeater in Sweetsboro, New Jersey. And my battery's dying. I have to switch. Hold on. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? <laughs> I hear you, Terry. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so, I'm kind of nervous, but also excited to be sharing on the line. Um, thank you for hearing my name. I might have been Bree if I said Terry real quick, but I'm the N. Um, so I could just so much relate to what was read here today, and especially what everyone else was sharing about you know, my drinking assumed more serious proportions. I um, have known for a long time that I was a compulsive overeater and off and on experienced periods of, you know, relief from the actual compulsive overeating. And I could, I could stop. I just couldn't stay stopped. And, um, and I would know what was going to happen. Like, uh, what I was thinking about when we were reading this was I could go into work and I'd go by the break room and if I saw something, I would know, like a switch would go off and I would know I'm going to eat that and what's going to, I'd know exactly what was going to happen and I would do it anyway. Like, I just, it's amazing to me that um, the mental that goes along with this. Like I knew what was going to happen. I knew the minute that I picked that up, that it was going to continue all day and all into the night. Um, and to the point of, you know, well, we all know where we go with that. And it was, um, I have been so blessed to have, to be experiencing the miracles that come with being recovered from this disease. It's, it's indescribable, um, the, the miracle that I'm experiencing. 
And, you know, I thought, like, I could relate to the next paragraph, too, where he says, I acquired the impeccable coat of a tan. Um, if I, if my weight was down and I felt like I looked okay, I would, everybody would think I was okay. It was like that outside appearance. And inside, you know, it was always the same over and over and over and over. And I'm just so grateful to have found, found especially this meeting, um, and, and the recovery that I'm experiencing today is just amazing. And I want to thank everyone for your continued support and thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Terry N. And perhaps, let me just check, is Bree N. waiting to speak? I guess I did hear Terry as Bree. Thanks for clarifying. Leah D. Good morning. Thank you for calling on me. Let me just get to my little space here. Oh, why is this not? Okay. So um, there's a word that I looked up that was read. I hope I can pronounce it right. I don't know how to pronounce it. Reminations? Well, it means being judged. You know, it says how his friends left him because they remonstrated him. I guess what it means. It, they ridiculed him and they, 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 they judged him and they made him feel bad and they did all these wonderful things. I guess in their mind, they were helping good old Bill. You know, we're going to tell you how sick you are and and you're just going to stop it because we're going to let you know how we don't approve of this and we don't approve of that and we don't approve of anything and then. I think growing up, being unapproved of couldn't have helped, and I was never approved of. I was the bad girl, and I was the the, the remonstration person. You know, that I should have worn a sweatshirt, and that happened from the age of three. And when you get treated that way in 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 your life, what could happen next? How could you possibly live a normal existence? The only thing to do is eat your brains out until there was nothing left nothing left and there was nothing and that's the word remonstrations of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf well I became a lone child and becoming a lone child became a lone preteen lone teenager lone adult but I'm not a lone woman today because I have the we and the program but I was remonstrated from the age of three and it hurts when Mommy remonstrates you, and people look at you with that eye. They roll the eyes and they look and they say, Oh my God, how could she be that way? How could she look that way? You know, I am Bill, and Bill is me, and I am that girl, and I am that guy. And it was, you always made believe that it didn't matter. You know, you had the attitude of, Who cares what you say? What do you know? What do you know? You know, you don't know what it's like, and I know what it's like. And I live Bill's life, and I am recovered today because of you and God. And uh, that's why I can give to other people, because I hope you're feeling the remonstration that I felt. And we can all be here today together. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leah D. Lauren N. Sorry, all. I was unmuting. Uh, Lauren N., compulsive overeater, sugar addict, here from New York, and recovering one day at a time. Thank God. 
Boy, can I relate to Bill. I fell into that hole, that bitter hole where food was everything. Sure, I did drugs and I did and I drank and I did all that kind of other stuff, but food was the start, stop, the beginning and the end and the be all and all for me. I couldn't eat enough. I'd start first thing in the morning and I'd go all through the day. I'd start with something sugary and it would be nonstop throughout the day until I woke up the next morning and started all over again. I'd fall asleep in a food coma and I'd just be a crazy person. Um, Thank God today I have a way out. I have a way out by being connected, by holding on, by loving myself for who I am and for who you all are. So thank you all for being here one day, every day, and I can stay in the reality of this, of my life, instead of in the fantasy of what I would like it to be. With your all, with your help, have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Lauren N. It looks like we have time for two more people to share. Who would like to take those shots? Elizabeth Nessa D. R. I heard Elizabeth and Nessa. Elizabeth, go right ahead. This is Elizabeth. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in the Boston area, and um, grateful to be listening to Bill's story again. Um, when I started, finally, finally, after two, three decades in OA, identifying in to his story, that's when the spiritual recovery began, and that's when I finally um, was able to grasp the spiritual tools that um, address my mental obsession. Um, the word that strikes me, or the phrase that strikes me, the remonstrances of my friends, and I became a lone wolf. How that relates to my story is um, isolation. Um, all through my growing up years, I ate in secret. The reason why I ate in secret is because people were watching me. Uh, my parents were watching me. Um, my friends were watching. Um, because, uh, and, and I had to go into secret with my eating because otherwise they were going to criticize me for how much I was eating um, or they were, and they were going to give me a hard time about that. And I'll never forget when I was in my, um, when I was in my 30s, I had a roommate say to me, you know, Elizabeth, I don't understand why you're overweight. You seem to eat normally. Well, what she wasn't seeing was what I was eating in secret, which was huge quantities of food. Um, and the, when I was keeping up appearances and not eating compulsively in order to look, quote, normal, like a normal eater, quote, unquote, despite how heavy I was, um, I was thinking about food and the obsession for food um, was gnawing at me. Um, and I couldn't wait to get back into isolation so that I could eat compulsively. That was my life. My life today, that is not my life today. My life today is authentic and true. 
I don't have to hide my eating. I eat my my abstinent meals without guilt and without remorse. And it is an amazing transformation, a miracle, in fact, for someone who's been in OA for 30 years um, and in and out of relapse. It is a miracle. And I am so grateful that um, God intervened, gave me the gift of desperation, and finally, I was on my knees and ready to listen to good orderly direction that came out of this book that we're reading this morning. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Elizabeth, before you go, what's the first initial of your last name? D as in Donald. Thanks, Elizabeth D. Nessa R. Thank you. Good morning, vision for you. Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Uh, we're talking about Bill's drinking, assuming more serious proportions. And I know that he's writing this after the fact when he's a recovered man. He's not writing this when um, he's in the disease because he cannot, in, in his disease, he couldn't tell that, that his drinking assumed more serious proportions. And neither could I. I. I could not tell that my eating was assuming more serious proportions because I always thought, I'm not that bad, you know, like I'm not 150 pounds yet. I'm not 200 pounds yet. I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not eating burnt food yet. I'm not eating, you know, food out of the garbage yet. Um, you know, so h- how do I know? How do I know that my that my uh, eating is assuming serious proportions if I'm constantly living in denial to justify uh, my, my binges? And, you know, I was taught uh, that there's three measures. Frequency, intensity, and duration. The frequency is the, the, the time span between binges and how it gets shorter and shorter and shorter as, a, as a, the disease progresses, you know, and they have been binging once a week and then it would be twice a week and then it would be every day and then it would be several times a day. And then there's the uh, intensity, you know, like how, 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 how desperately am I eating? How quickly am I shoving um, food down my throat. How much am I eating? You know, I may be eating half a tub of ice cream and then it goes to a whole tub and then it goes to a tub and a half and then it goes to, you know, and, you know, you get the drift. And then um, the duration, you know, I would uh, sit down and eat for 20 minutes and then it would be half an hour and then it would be two hours and then it would be all night. You know, and when those, when I look at those three, like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I didn't see the signs. And even in the rooms, even in the rooms, I, uh, you know, I don't know if I was blessed or cursed with the ability to get back on the wagon as soon as I gave away my abstinence. You know, like I would, I would like, you know, pick up something one night and then the next day I'd be good to go again. But then the times, that, you know, the, the, the frequency uh, and the duration, the intensity of that picking up kept, you know, kept increasing. And, uh, you know, until I could no longer deny it. And thank God for that. Thank God for the, the ability to see that I, I needed help and that I couldn't control the food on my own because without that, I would not be here and recovered today. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Nessa was the last person to share for this first hour. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The reference number for this meeting, Thursday, December 14, 2017, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 
seven nine eight. That's ten seven ninety eight. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page one sixty four, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Naomi B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still suffer, is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.